Today, on this edition of the Forest City Church Podcast, lead pastor Eric Parks has part three of the series titled, Jonah, the Story of a Runaway. Before we get started, we're in this series around Jonah. I'm going to teach through the third chapter of Jonah this morning. But in the life of every church, there are moments that are truly like unforgettable. It's just true, like in the life of every organization, in the life of every family, you have moments that are unforgettable. Moments that you'll remember for a really long time, and that if you're not a part of, like, you look back and you're disappointed. And I'm telling you that in three weeks, there is going to be one of those moments. Now, it has been said that the most segregated hour in our country is on Sunday mornings. And over the last year, we've had a chance, you know that, for those of you that call this place home, to begin building a friendship, a relationship, and a partnership with Providence Baptist Church. Dr. or um, Reverend Bill Martin, I just gave him a doctor. He's going to love that. I just gave him a doctorate. Um, Bill and I have become really good friends. He's the pastor at Providence, and it was um, a few weeks ago, oh, maybe, maybe a month and a half ago, we were talking about, hey, How's the stuff going with, um, you know, the, the center that we've gotten to partner on? And then we started talking about some other things. And, and, and then we had this idea. We're like, you know, wouldn't it be really cool if one Sunday we just did church together? And he was like, that would be really cool. And I go, well, why can't we do it? Because I'm the boss. <laughs> he said, you think we should do church together? So we decided... We're going to do church together. In fact, in three weeks, uh, we invited ourselves over to Providence Baptist Church, and we're going to be doing two services um, in three weeks at Providence Baptist. Now listen, there's actually two things you need to know. Number one is we're going to do church together. Four City Worship's going to lead worship. I'm telling you, Carrington is going to go off. If you um, t- just come to watch that young man go, he's so excited. Um, We're going to be having a 9 and an 11, but then, then, after the 11, we're going to do a block party. We're shutting down the streets, we're inviting the whole neighborhood, and we're going to be making a pretty awesome announcement. Now, I'm not going to tell you what the announcement is, you're going to have to come to the block party. Um, There's going to be food, stuff for kids, and let me say this, um, some of you are like, for the service, will we have stuff for the kids? Well, we're bringing our kids' ministry over to Providence Baptist, and so there will be ministry for kids. Um, So you'll have no excuses not to show up, but I'm telling you, if you don't show up for this historic event, um, it'll be maybe one of those you look back and go, why didn't I go? Why didn't I put it on my phone? So listen, I want every single one of us to show up and show out um, in three weeks. Deal? 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 All right, if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them. If you use your phones, I want you to pull it out, but I don't want you texting or looking at Instagram, all right? Only Bible apps. We've been teaching through Jonah. Jonah is a book in the Old Testament. It's only four chapters long, but this story has something to teach us, like something really, really important to teach us. And so, 
If you haven't been caught up to speed, um, you know we put all of our messages online. You can listen to them. Uh, there's a podcast. Also, we're, we're putting out a daily devotional that you can follow along at home um, every single day. And one of the easiest ways to do it is to download the Forest City Church app. And, and if it, you, you'll have every single day's devotional inside there. And not only this, if you don't like to read, it actually will read it to you. There's a little voice that'll come in there and read you a little devotional every morning, and your day is going to be great. But I want to encourage you to be following along um, as we uh, dive into chapter three this week and chapter four. You know, I don't know if you've ever had a moment. I don't know if you've ever had a moment where you made a mistake that you thought you never will outlive. Now, no raise of hands, but I'm sure they're in a room this size. There's a few of us that have made mistakes in our lives that you worry, will I ever be able to outlive this? Now, some of those mistakes are really, really big, and they really are catastrophic. But sometimes the mistakes are small to everyone else, but seem catastrophic to us. Now, I was thinking about this when I was a freshman in high school. Now, you got to know this about me growing up. I was a late bloomer. Um, I don't know that I've actually still bloomed. But I was a late bloomer, tiny little guy, loved playing baseball. I've been playing baseball since I was three years old, man. I was, always had a glove in my hand. And um, I, I always aspired growing up to be a professional baseball player, right? That's what I wanted to do. And so my freshman year rolls around, and we grew up in Granite City, Illinois. And... Um, you know, if you're going to play baseball in the pros, you're going to have to learn how to play baseball in high school first. The problem was I was a little bitty guy. And that whole year playing baseball, my freshman year, was one of those, like, um, adventures in just character. Because I sat the bench. I mean, every single week I was on that bench. I, I went to practice and I tried really hard, but... I couldn't hit the ball out of the infield. I knew how to feel, but my body just wouldn't do what my mind wanted it to do because, as I said, I was a bit of a late bloomer. But I hustled. And about halfway through the season, I don't know if my coach took pity on me or what it might be, he, he told me after just hustle, 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 he says, Parks, you're starting this week. Well, you got to know, this is like game changer. I'm like, oh, I'm starting this week. I went home and told my dad. I said, Dad, this is my break. I'm going to finally make it to the pros. He was like, slow, slow, slow down, son. This is a freshman. It's freshman in high school baseball. I'm like, yeah, but this is, the first, this is the first step, Dad. I did it. All the hustle. I did it. This is going to be my week. And so um, he put me in the lineup. I was playing left field. And um, it, it didn't take long to, to um, see my dreams, my dreams of being a professional baseball player come into question because my first at bat showed why I hadn't played that whole year. It was four pitches. It was three strikes, and I was done. I go out into the outfield. Nobody hits the ball to me. Um, two innings later, I go back up, and there were five pitches, three strikes. I was out. I'm now 0 for 2. This is my debut. This is a very big moment. My dreams of my whole life, I can see it. When you're a freshman in high school, right, it's not a big deal to everybody else. But to you, this is like the biggest deal ever. My third at bat in the sixth inning, I hit the ball to the catcher. 
You're out. And then a moment of truth, a runner on second base. It's the sixth inning, the bottom of that sixth inning. And a ball comes into left field with a runner heading from second to third. And I thought, this is my moment. I may not be able to hit the ball, but I'm going to throw that guy out at third. So I come in, charge into that ball. I went down to pick it up. I come up. That runner is sprinting to third. I go to throw, and there's no ball. It was back at the fence. So there's that little guy trucking to the fence. And what was going to be my glory moment of throwing out a guy at third was actually an inside-the-park home run on my air. I came off of the field, and my dad was sitting in the stands, and you know how that feels, right? It's like Charlie Brown, man. Dun, 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 dun. Life is over. You just want to hide. You don't want to play the game anymore. I'm like, I'm no good. I'm terrible. And, and I look back at that freshman little me, and, and the truth is it's such a small moment, but all of us have these moments where you wonder, right? Did I just blow it? Am I ever going to get another chance? Your, your, your business failed, and you're like, will I ever get a shot at business again? Your marriage failed. Will I ever get another chance? The, the, the stuff that's going on between you and the kids, you feel like a failed parent. The list goes on and on. We have these moments where we wonder, like, what will happen with my future? Because as I look back at my past, this just looks like a mess. Anybody ever been there? You see, this is good news. Not that you've been in that moment, but it's good news if you felt that because this is Jonah's story. Now, I'm not going to preach chapter 1 and chapter 2, but let me just say that here's a man who gets asked by God in chapter 1 to do something pretty spectacular, to go deliver a message on God's behalf. But here's a man that decides he doesn't want to do it. He says, I'm not going to do it. That's not what I want to do. He makes a massive mistake, and because he makes a mistake in chapter 1, he gets thrown into the storms of life. Literal storm on a boat. The guys on the boat are like, why are we in this storm? Is this because of you? He's down below deck. He says, yeah, probably, because God asked me to do something. I didn't do what I was supposed to do, and now we're in the middle of a storm. Anybody not do what you probably should have done and found yourself in a storm? That's, that, that, that's Jonah. So he says, just throw me overboard. And they do, because <laughs> they ain't loyal. They throw him overboard, and the storm calms down. And, and what happens next is he goes from a storm to a literal hell. And in chapter 2, he's in the belly of a whale, his hell. And I don't know if anybody can relate to making a mistake in your life and going through the storms of life and then finding yourself in hell. But if you've ever woken up on the backside of a mistake and smelled the stench of hell, then you're in good place because that's Jonah. In chapter 2, he's in hell begging God, please get me out of this. And that's where we find him in chapter 3. Now, I'm going to go verse by verse in chapter 3, and I'm going to tell you 
that um, I'm not going to be reading out of, I'm going to be reading out of the Bible, but not this one, because you, some of you are like, oh, it's because your glasses and you can't read. And actually, it's because I woke up this morning and grabbed the wrong Bible. <laughs> so I like having it up here, but I went, oh, that's not the version on the screen. So I'm going to read the version on the screen. It starts in Jonah chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can read along. This is the New Living Translation. It says, then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. I love that. Just that one line. He spoke to him, what, a second time. It means even if he's spoken to you and you've blown it, he does speak again. He did with Jonah. He, he, he speaks to him a second time, and then he says, get up and go. If, if you were titling the message this morning, you could write it, get up and go. He says to Jonah, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. And deliver the message I've given to you. This time, this time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and he went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. He got up and he went. Now, I was thinking a lot about this moment in Jonah's life, this moment when God gives him a second chance. Because he does, right? He gives him a second chance to go do what God had asked him to do originally. And I, I began to think, why is it that if our God is a God of second chances, and that this is a narrative both in the New Testament and the Old, why is it that so many followers of Jesus never truly live out their second chance? Why are so many of us stuck in the past? The truth is, the reason why so many of us don't get up and go is because we are stuck in the past. And let me tell you, there's only three things I can tell you will happen if you live in the past. Three things. Three awful things. And because I'm a preacher, I put it into a little um, Enneagram. It's uh, sad. You will be sad. There are only three things. Number one, you will live in shame. If you live in the past, you will live in shame. Now, shame is different than guilt. Guilt's actually a pretty good emotion. It lets us know that we did something wrong, right? It lets us know that maybe the hurt that we inflicted on someone we sh should be addressed. But something happens when guilt begins to go inside, and we no longer just see it as something I did wrong, but we begin to believe that maybe there is something wrong with me. In fact, people who suffer from shame of their past will say things like, I don't deserve to exist. I am defective. You know shame has put its claws in you when you begin to say, I'm unworthy of being known. If you knew me, if you really knew me, you wouldn't want to hang out with me. I deserve to be abandoned. This is what shame does. And I can tell you that one byproduct of being stuck in your past is shame. In fact, if I were to read those words and you were to rate them on a scale of 1 to 10, if you rank any of those 8 or above, you are living in shame. And shame will absolutely rob you of your second chance. One of the reasons why so many people who've experienced failure don't get up and go to their next thing is because they've lived in the past and that past has brought shame and that shame makes them believe I'll never be anything other than the mistake I once made. I won't be anything better than this. I'm just a loser. I'm just a you fill in the blank. 
And shame is messed up, man. Causes us to hide and pretend. But make no mistake, if you live in the past, I can promise you that shame will be an inevitable byproduct of staying there. Second thing, shame, that's the S. Second byproduct of living in the past that, Noah, that Jonah could have experienced but did not, it was animosity. And animosity is interesting because this is when someone messed you up in the past. You know what I'm talking about. It's one thing when you make the mistake to yourself. It's quite the other when someone does it to you. I remember in college, I used to, um, I had this perverse way of thinking, but honestly, some of us probably resonate. We would always go out to get chicken wings or eat burgers or do whatever, and there was always more guys that uh, rode in the car than were seats in the car. And, you know, back in the day, there used to be a little, big old hump in the middle of the car, especially if you had real-wheel drive, right, big hump, and that was the worst seat. It was always the worst seat to sit in the middle in the back, right? That's the worst seat. But I had this theory. I'd rather put myself in that seat than anybody else put me in it. So I would always not, I wouldn't call, you know, what's the seat next to the, I never called shotgun. I always called backseat middle. People be like, why are you always calling backseat middle? That's weird. You're weird. I'm like, because I don't want anybody to call it for me. I'm much better. Put myself in a bad spot, then somebody else put, in, put me in that bad spot. You know, that, that's, that's, um, that's how some of us think. And some of us have been hurt so badly by people in the past that when we go and we live there, it's not shame. It's animosity and grudges. We have a hatred for some of the people that did us wrong. I know about this. Oh, if you think this place is filled with pastors that are perfect, <laughs> you are wrong. I know what it feels like to be hurt by somebody. I know what it feels like to have somebody not be loyal, to throw you under the bus, to try to ruin your family. I know what that feels like. And I know what it feels like to wake up every single morning with a... With a a twinge of hatred, a twinge of animosity, right? Like, I'll catch myself going, oh, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you. What's going to happen is I'm going to go get mine, and you're going to see me get mine, and then you're going to rue the day that you threw me under the bus. Anybody else, anybody else have some people that did you wrong, and you're like, oh, I'll, I'll show them. I'll show them. You know, we, ha we have this thing, too. It's funny because I, I have the belief that, this, that these people are watching, right? You're like, oh, and they're watching too. In fact, do you know that C.S. Lewis has a, 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 a phrase for this? He calls it the fallacy of the inner circle. That human beings, when we're stuck in the past, we will build an inner circle of people who have done us wrong. Moms, dads, coaches, best friends. We'll build a circle. We know who they are. And we're living our lives trying to show them. I'm going to show them. I'm going to show them. We perform for them. We think about them. We wake up. We're ticked at them. We're hoping they see our successes and they're jealous of us. But what C.S. Lewis says is, hey, just so you know, that inner circle, they're not looking. They're not watching. 
We're living our lives doing a dance for a bunch of people who could not care less. See, this happens when we get stuck in the past. We have this built-up animosity, this grudge we just can't let go of. We, we sometimes will, even with animosity, almost treat it like a child. Haven't you had, like, anger that almost felt good to have? Haven't you had hooks in you so deep about somebody you don't know what to do without it? It's like we, we coddle resentment. We nurse anger. We pamper that bitterness. I wouldn't know what to do if I weren't mad at this person who doesn't care that I even exist anymore. What would I do? You live in the past. I can promise you shame. I can promise you animosity, and I can promise you despair. For some of us, we have lived with our mistakes or the mistakes done to us for so long, looking backward, that it's literally the only thing that we think about. The worst part, the worst part of all of this is that it doesn't have to be that way. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. The reality is, is your, your shame because of your brokenness, it doesn't actually get broken down by me telling you how great you are. You, you know, actually, psychologists will tell you you don't get feeling better about you because I tell you how great you are. Actually, there's something comforting in knowing that there's a bunch of us together who are broken. Right? We put standards on ourselves that aren't even realistic. And, and then we, we somehow put like Bible verses around it when in truth, when in truth, Ephesians 2.8 says, it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. In other words, there isn't much you can do about it other than accept it. If it's up to your doing, you're in trouble. Why? Because you make messes of stuff, human beings. You, you want to start moving past shame and start realizing that everybody in this space, we all have a level of brokenness. That's why we say anyone and everyone. You hear me say long tables, low walls. I get people all the time angry at me. Why are you always calling out people and saying who gets to be here? I said, one, because people need to know they get to belong here. Two, there's a few, few people who are self-righteous, and they need to remember they're kind of broken as well. Right? We all have busted brokenness. You need a Jesus. You. You need a Jesus. Why? Because you've made mistakes. Everybody has fallen short of the glory of God. Not some. You want to live free? You got to realize, man, you're not alone in this journey of brokenness. No, you don't deserve what happened to you. That's not true. You don't deserve it. Do you have brokenness? Yes. Can it be healed? In the hands of the right person, it can. You want to get rid of shame? That's how you do it. You want to get rid of animosity? You have to learn how to forgive. You want to get rid of guilt? The reality is you have to start living what Jesus had in mind. Now imagine. Imagine Jonah. Imagine Jonah. He gets spit up on the beach. 
God gives him a second chance to get up and go, and he says, no, I don't, I don't think you want me to go. Because do I need to remind you, God, I was just in the belly of a whale. Now, remember, when he got spit up, he would probably be bleached white. His past, he'd be wearing it. He's wearing his past. He's walking into his city looking like an idiot. He's not, his clothes are ratty. He smells awful, right? He's a mess. His past mistake, it's on full display for everybody. So if anybody could have found a reason to be like, no, I'm going to tap out on this one. Why don't you find somebody who actually dressed nice, not bleach white, and smells like the belly of a fish, right? I just got done with hell. And it's God saying, I know. I want you to get up and go. Fastest way out of there is there. We got to go. And so in verse 4, it says, Jonah, looking forward, it says, on the day Jonah entered the city, he says, all right, I'm going to do it. He shouted to the crowd, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The Bible doesn't say this, but can you believe it? The people of Nineveh believed God's message. They believed it. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast, and they put on burlap to show their sorrow. Now listen, this little verse is really important. Because to this point in the Old Testament, it is very uncommon for God to send on a mission prophets to go and tell. In fact, throughout most of the Old Testament, every mission call in the Old Testament is to nations that were surrounding Israel to come and see. But in this one, God looks at Jonah, someone who has messed it up pretty good and lived through a living hell, and he says, I want you to go and tell. You got to think for a minute, Jonah's going, wait a minute, why would you be picking me? Why are you picking me? I just got out of my hell. You see, there's something in this that I think is fascinating. Do you ever wonder that maybe the reason why Nineveh turned so fast, why this city that was broken turned so fast was because they saw somebody else who was broken? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But I can tell you that dude was wearing his brokenness. You ever think about that? You know, it's interesting because January 1st, 1995, that's when I came to Jesus for real. Like, I grew up in the church, but I went off to school to do whatever it is that you do when you go off to school. Use your imagination. I came to Rockford, Illinois, and my sister was so excited that um, I was coming home for a Christmas break, and so she invited me to go to church. And I was like, I'm not going to church. I've told this story before, but part of the story that I didn't tell was reminded to me just a few days ago. I got invited um, last week to be a part of a missions conference with an organization that's doing unbelievable humanitarian work in the Ukraine. In fact, they have served over 97% of all the Ukrainian territories with food and distribution of food and medical supplies. It's unreal, and we're going to get to partner with them. But while I was there, I was looking at the list, and there was only 40 pastors that um, got invited in to see the work. And not in Ukraine. I wasn't in Ukraine. Um, it was at their distribution center. But I looked at the list, and I saw a name that I remembered. And I said, oh, sh surely this guy's name 
that can't be the same guy. His name is Brian Dunn. Now, I hadn't seen Brian in years, but Brian's such an important part of my story. In fact, I'd say this. I'm probably not here if it isn't for Brian Dunn. Because in 1994, three days before I gave my life to Jesus, there was a ring on my door. Young guy, about my age, showed up at my house. His name was Brian Dunn. Brian was in an internship program and knew my sister. And when my sister told him that I was coming home and that I had gone to youth group that Wednesday night by Friday, Brian said, well, I want to go meet him. I want to tell him a little bit about what Jesus has done in my life. So this young guy in his 20s, with nothing to get from me, shows up at my house. I don't even know him, but he invites me to coffee. I didn't have anything else to do, so I got in the car, and over the next few hours, Brian, he shared his story about what God had done in his life, how he had changed everything, how he grew up the son of an alcoholic, how he knew no faith, but God had miraculously saved him and delivered him. And something began to stir in this broken kid's life because this one guy shared his story. The power of his story and his brokenness said, maybe a guy like me, maybe somebody like me could know Jesus too. He didn't soft pedal it. He told me all of it. And I thought when I was seeing him just last week, if you don't go and tell, in the midst of all of your stuff, if you don't tell me your story, I may never have known Jesus. See, there's something in Jonah's story that his brokenness is part of it, that his past, his hell, it's all part of it. It speaks to a culture that knows in it and right, but they don't know what else to do. You see, the world isn't looking for perfect vessels, people who have it all put together, right? You see people who have it all put together, and you're like, yeah, give me a break, right? Give me a break, when you see it on Instagram and everything's perfect, you're like, I mean, that's really nice, but that's not my life. Like, their kids are all, like, put together and everything's great and their hair's perfectly combed and they eat healthy food. And then you come to my house. Harry hasn't showered in three days. <laughs> if Chrissy's gone, he might eat mac and cheese most meal. Like, when I compare my life to perfect, I go, yeah, yeah, I don't know that. I know mess. I know struggle. I know that. Anybody else? That's what I know, man. And I began to realize that maybe Jonah's power was in the fact that he didn't let his past hold him down, but he didn't pretend that it wasn't part of his story. How could he? He smelt like a fish everywhere he went. And in chapter, in, in, in verse 6, it says, when the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne. It went to the highest level. This dude who had told God no, lived through hell, smelt like a fish, is now getting the attention of a president. Said so he took off his royal robes and he dressed himself in burlap and he sat in a heap of ashes. And then the king and his nobles sent the decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals, 
from the herds and the flocks may eat or drink. They're all going to fast. The Bible says people and animals alike, they wore garments of mourning, right? They wanted to be different. They prayed earnestly to God. And they, he, he gave the command that they must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell, perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. But Jonah got up and he went. In spite of his past. And maybe, maybe, all of that transpired because of his past. Of course it was God's spirit at work. But we underestimate the power of our testimony. When we begin to walk away from all the brokenness and destruction, don't you understand what it speaks to? It doesn't speak to you getting it put together. It speaks to the unbelievable grace of God. When you see stories that are absolutely just like ravaged, And then you see them walk out on the other side. You go, only by God's grace. And if it's true for you, maybe it could be true for me too. The last verse in Jonah says, when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, when they began to change, he changed his mind and he did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Hey, listen, our pasts are powerful. The mistakes that we've made and the hell that we've lived through, they can be a part of redemption or they can keep us trapped in the belly of a whale that isn't even there. Think about it. You think one of the greatest tricks that the enemy can play on us is to keep us trapped in a whale's belly when we're not in a whale's belly. Think about it. How many of us walk through life and we cannot see how we can ever be anything more than that moment? We are trapped. I sat with somebody who was in my office and had been through so much living hell. I said, do you believe that God owns cattle on a thousand hills and he's your father. And that person wanted so desperately to believe it but said to me, I don't know if I can because my past says something different. Oh, I get that. We look back at these, this hell that we go through and we wonder, we wonder. But I think this is just the enemy. This is what the evil one does, right? Like he'll, he'll just say, bottom line, that hell you lived through, it'll always be the same. Just keep looking at that. Just keep staring at that. Just keep believing that. Believe that. Believe that. Believe you're broken. Live back there. Have some shame about that. You're awful. You did it. Have some animosity. Look what they did to you. Have some guilt. Stay in there. You stay in there, here's what I can promise you. You'll never be able to get up and go. See, the reality is every single one of us have fallen short. The Bible says it. If you look at Psalms 103, I live in this verse where it says, he does not treat us as our sins deserve. We don't get treated that way. He doesn't repay us according to our iniquities. 
In other words, yeah, you screwed it up. Get up and go. You might say, but, but, but all these other people, they got it figured out. Here's what it says in Romans 2. It says, for everybody sinned. We've all fallen short of his standard. All of us, every single one of us. Yet God with undeserving kindness declares that you're righteous. So get up and go. And you're like, but I gotta got get it together first. I gotta get it all together. I gotta get it all cleaned up. And here's what the apostle Paul says in Colossians 1.13. God rescued us from dead end alleys and dark dungeons. He set us up in the kingdom of God. He loves so much. The son who got us out of the pit. In other words, you can't get yourself out of the pit. He'll get you out. Some of us are waiting going, I'll get myself out, then I'll come. No, 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 no. Let him get you. Lamentations 3.23 says, the faithful love of the Lord does not end. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Get up and go. Listen, you might have messed it up last night. His mercies begin afresh this morning. It may have been 10 years ago. I'm telling you, his mercies and his grace, it's afresh every morning. Get up and go. Jesus has given you a chance to get up and go. And isn't it so beautiful that Jonah actually is this story that reflects the goodness that was to come in the New Testament. That this Jesus would go to a cross and die for people like you and me who were going to mess it up. It's the whole story. That you can get up and go, regardless of your past, however many mistakes you've made, the hells you've walked through. And maybe if you get up and go, maybe this isn't just for your transformation. Maybe the moment that Jonah stepped toward what God had, he started then really realizing his destiny. It wasn't about his healing only. He was going to bring a whole nation to God. Imagine what would happen if you lived in that same confidence your past, your mistakes, your hells, all of it, God was going to turn it into something beautiful. Isn't this the promise of the Bible? That he takes beauty, makes beauty from ashes. You're not done. That's nonsense. Your dreams aren't dead. Your story's not finished. Your life isn't over. That's the evil one telling you a bunch of things that just aren't true. And if you've been living in the belly of a whale, here's good news. You are ready for a comeback. It's time to get up and go. So here's what I'm going to invite all of us to do. Will you stand to your feet? We're going to sing a song. I think it's like the, this great song of reset. Right? Refresh. It's a song, Come to the Altar. And I'm just going to ask, that as we sing this song, wherever you're at, you begin to ask God, hey, God, do your work in me so that I can let go of what was and begin to get up and go towards what will be in my life. Amen. Let's worship together. You've been listening to Eric Parks with part three of the series, Jonah, the story of a runaway. Thanks for listening. 